You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 to 15, and we'll be taking as a, a principle from this portion of Scripture the idea of gaining and exercising Christ-centered wisdom. But before we take a look at that, I wanted to share something new with you that you may have noticed on our website, or maybe you haven't noticed yet. We are giving away my newest book, Desire Jesus, Volume 3, which is a 30-day devotional that's geared toward encouraging and strengthening your walk with Christ. And if you'd like a free digital copy of it, just head over to pastor.us, and you'll be able to download a copy right from the website. We hope you enjoy it. Volumes 1 and 2 are certainly available on Amazon, but Volume 3 is the newest edition. It just came out, and we're offering it for free for just a little while. Each month, we've been coming out with a new uh, edition in this series, and Volume 3 is the newest one that's ready to go. So there's also print copies available on Amazon, but if you'd like a digital copy for absolutely free, just head over to pastor.us and you'll be able to download it right from the front page there. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, today we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll be looking at the first 15 verses of this chapter, where it speaks about this idea by way of of application, this idea of gaining and exercising Christ-centered wisdom. And I could tell you that when I was a new Christian, but even now, wisdom was something that I did and currently do pray for with regularity. I remember noticing as I started reading the scriptures more regularly just how often the Lord encourages believers to seek his wisdom and how much he delights to supply wisdom to his children. And that's a pattern that we see all throughout scripture, and it's certainly an application that we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So what I'd like to do is just read it for us and have a word of prayer, and then we're going to take a look at this passage today. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 1, this is what it states. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted, because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. 
And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at it together today. And Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture, we pray that by your grace that you would grant us your wisdom and that you would help us to be aware of all the things that you're doing around us and all the things that are taking place in our lives and through our lives as you accomplish your mission through us. Lord, we recognize that in the midst of our day-to-day walk with you, we need your wisdom. Our wisdom is not sufficient, but your wisdom is. So, Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture that you would grant us your wisdom, and we thank you, Lord, for giving us access to your word. We pray that you would teach us now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we've been going through the book of 2 Corinthians, and we've been noticing how emotional this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth happened to be, we see Paul addressing multiple issues that had cropped up in the church. We see Paul trying to invest in the maturity of this church. We see Paul trying to encourage them to be aware of those who were trying to undermine the message of the gospel and likewise undermine his authority as an apostle to this church. And we also see throughout this book that Christ's strength is sufficient for us in the midst of our human weaknesses. And that's something that the Apostle Paul displays in his life by example, but also by the words that he uses to teach. And in this portion of Scripture, one of the applications that we could take from it, and one of the things that certainly he was trying to convey to the Corinthians, was this idea of gaining and exercising Christ-centered wisdom. In their specific context, in our specific context, that's something that the Lord desires that we have. And so Paul was trying to encourage the church at Corinth to, to gain wisdom from Christ and also to exercise it. And there's a few principles that he illustrates here in this passage that I want to point out. And one of the things that he brings out right away in the first section of verses is the benefit of knowing what you believe. And let me reread verse 3 and 4 for us. This is what he said. He said, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Let's pause there for just a moment. Fathers who love their children can be quite protective of them, and in some cases it's possible to take that too far, but in most cases, a loving father is trying to look out for the well-being of his children. He's trying to impart wisdom to them. He's trying to caution them to be aware of dangers that, because of their limited experience, they may not yet perceive. That's the spirit in which Paul wrote these verses. He planted the church in Corinth. He led them to Jesus, taught them the truth of the Scriptures, and spent considerable time living with them and training them. And then soon after he left to preach in other cities, false teachers swooped in and began deceiving the church. 
Now, in the culture of the time, as Paul was doing his ministry, it was a father's responsibility to protect the chastity of his daughter so that she could be presented as a virgin at her wedding. And opening up this section of Scripture, opening up this chapter, Paul uses that analogy here when he states that it was his desire to present them as a pure virgin to Christ. But what was happening is they were being led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Well, what were they being encouraged to believe by those who were trying to lead them astray? Well, first of all, they were being encouraged to believe a false gospel. What's a false gospel? Well, false gospels don't celebrate the grace of Christ or the work Christ accomplished on our behalf. A false gospel emphasizes human effort and human achievement. And they focus on what we earn and deserve, and they influence us to stop looking to Jesus to supply what we need. They were also being encouraged to believe in a false Jesus. And sometimes I hear this term interchanged with functional saviors. I don't know if that's a term you're familiar with or not, but it's, a, it, it's the same kind of concept. And basically, this can be a distorted teaching of who Jesus really is, or it can be an attempt to look to someone or something else other than him as the source of peace for our souls. This is why we need to know and understand what we believe. We need to be well acquainted with the truth of Scripture and fully convinced that salvation is a gift given to us by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And there's multiple Scriptures that illustrate that point. But let me show you two. The first is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and this is what it says. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then Titus 3.5 says this, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The further we deviate from relying on his word for instruction, and the further we deviate from a daily trust in Jesus, the more we open ourselves up to the kind of deception the young Christians at Corinth were opening themselves up to. For Christ's glory and our own protection, we're called to thoroughly know what we believe so that we won't be deceived like those at Corinth, unfortunately, were. Another principle that the Apostle Paul illustrates in 2 Corinthians 11 regarding to this idea of gaining and exercising Christ-centered wisdom is the, the benefit or the importance of avoiding the creation of unnecessary obstacles. Look again at verses 7 down to verse 11. He says, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted, because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them, in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. 
Several months ago, I was asked to speak for a gathering of believers and to teach on various aspects of discipleship. And they asked me how much my speaking fees were, and I told them in response that I don't set fees. If they could cover the cost of my travel, they could pay as little or as much as they wanted. Now, I was pleasantly surprised by how well they paid me. I didn't know that they were going to pay me that well, and it was certainly a nice surprise. Uh, I had never, to be honest with you, been paid so well for a speaking engagement. And I did some really exciting things with that money. I used it to buy heat and water and groceries for my family. (laughs) Now, but have you ever looked at some of the speaking fees that some speakers request? I looked online to see what some of the current speaking fees for some of the more popular names happen to be. And Adam Sandler and Alec Baldwin both get $100,000 or more to speak. To just come and give a less than one hour speech, $100,000 or more. Amy Poehler and Serena Williams get over $200,000 to just come and give a speech. That's quite a bit of money. Well, in Corinth, speakers were considered more valuable or more sought after based on what they charged. Their worth was evaluated based on their price tag. How much did Paul charge them when he served them and when he taught them? The answer is nothing. He didn't take support from them because he was concerned that it might become an obstacle to the gospel. He didn't want it to ever be said that the reason that he traveled to them and served them was because he wanted their money. But he had to have supported himself somehow, so what did he do? Well, we're told here that the churches in Macedonia cheerfully supported his work, and they supplied his needs so that he didn't need to be a burden to the Corinthians. And in addition to that, we also know from other scriptures that the Apostle Paul worked with his hands. He made and he sold tents in the marketplace. He wanted to be able to preach to the Corinthians free of charge. How ironic that there were some who were now trying to devalue his service and make it seem like he wasn't that great of a speaker because he didn't command an exorbitant speaking fee like they did. But on the contrary, this was confirmation that Paul's motives were pure and their motives were wicked. There's a principle here that we would do well to apply to our lives. Have you ever asked yourself, Am I making it difficult for people to see Jesus because of obstacles I'm intentionally or unintentionally putting in the way? There are all kinds of liberties that we have as Christians that we can choose to exercise or we can choose to forego if in so doing it would benefit someone else. Paul could have accepted a paycheck, but he chose not to so it wouldn't be an obstacle. Can we put aside some of our liberties, if need be, if some of those liberties get in the way of somebody else seeing Jesus? It's a hard question that truly demands the wisdom and the discernment of the Holy Spirit. But that's something that we see Paul illustrating for us in this passage as he's trying to help people gain a greater glimpse of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Another principle he brings up in this passage that I think is something that is key for us as we seek to gain and exercise Christ-centered wisdom, and that's the idea of not being fooled by disguises. Look again at what he says in verse 12 down to verse 15. He says, And what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission 
they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. I don't know if you're familiar with a singer named Jewel. Obviously, that's not her birth name, but her stage name is Jewel. She was pretty popular about, oh, about 20 years ago. I think she's still pretty popular in some circles. But I remember when my son Jay, and Jay is about 15 now, uh, but I remember one night when he was a baby. And he was having a very difficult time sleeping. He's much like me in that sleeping is not something that we tend to find very easy to do sometimes. So he was awake in his crib. He was less than a year old. And I could tell that he just just kind of wanted or needed a little added attention. And since I wasn't sleeping yet, I went down to his crib and I took him out of the crib and I brought him upstairs and sat him on the chair where I was sitting on and just let him sit there and lean against me. And I put something on TV and I wasn't sure what we were going to watch, but I didn't want it to be something that was too active because I wanted it to be the type of thing that would maybe help him rest or relax a little bit so that he could fall asleep. So I was going through the channels and I happened to come across Jewel singing. And I don't think I realized exactly who it was at first. It was more of a Christmas concert. And she was singing there with uh, her mother. And she and her mother were, were singing different Christmas songs together. And their voices blended beautifully. I remember thinking, wow, this sounds wonderful. This is great. And I looked at my son and he was just staring at the TV and he relaxed and he was very much uh, just just put at ease by their singing voices. He enjoyed it. And uh, after the concert was over, I think we watched TV for maybe about an hour or so, maybe a little less or more. And uh, then I, I took him downstairs again, put him in his crib and he fell right asleep. And it was I was reminded of that because the other day I happened to see a video that featured Jewel. Someone had posted it online, and it was a video where she was encouraged to put on a disguise so no one would recognize this famous singer. And she was invited to go into a, a karaoke place and uh, then sing her own songs, but with a disguise because they knew that it would be uh, something that people would be amazed by how good her voice was. People, they, they assumed, would think, uh, you know, wow, wow, that lady sings like Jewel does. And so uh, she sang her own song. She pretended to be a woman named Karen, and they interviewed different people as she was singing, or I guess it probably was a little bit after she was singing. But some of the people said, wow, she sounds even better than Jewel. And later on, it was revealed to them that that's exactly who it had been that they had seen right there in concert in their small, you know, karaoke establishment. And it was funny. Her disguise, it was a clever prank. I was entertained watching uh, this trick that she was playing on the crowd, and the people that were there to see her live were very entertained by it as well. But in the, in the spiritual sense, we need to be certain that we aren't fooled by disguises. It's one thing for a prank to be pulled off, but it, there's, a, there's a very real sense where this idea of disguises becomes a very deep spiritual problem. And in the city of Corinth, there were people who disguised themselves as apostles 
of Christ, you know, meaning, you know, it's not like they dressed up any particular way to try and dupe people, but what they were doing was they were trying to pretend by virtue of what they said or how they carried themselves that somehow they were, as Paul refers to them here, super apostles. But what they were doing was they were preaching a false gospel and they were preaching about false saviors giving a false portrayal of who Jesus is. And Paul considered it his mission to expose their false claims to the light. This happens in our day as well. There are plenty of people who are happy to portray themselves as messengers of truth, but when they're looked at closely, their motives aren't to point toward Christ. Their greater goal is to build their own kingdom. I know of a church that's wrestling with this very thing right now, where their leadership seems to actually have the goal to build their own kingdom instead of Christ's kingdom. And that's a problem. Not too long ago, Tom Rainier released an article that he titled, 14 Symptoms of Toxic Church Leaders. And it's a fascinating article, particularly in light of the things that the Apostle Paul speaks about in this passage. But listen to some of the things that are on Tom Rainier's list. This is what he says. He says, most church leaders are godly and healthy. A toxic church leader, one that's figuratively poisonous to the organization, is rare. But it is that church leader who brings great harm to churches and other Christian organizations. And it is that leader that hurts the entire cause of Christ when word travels about such toxicity. And these are some of the symptoms, he said, of a toxic church leader. He says they rarely demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. They seek a minimalist structure of accountability, meaning they're trying to avoid being accountable. They expect behavior of others that they don't expect of themselves. They see almost everyone else as inferior to themselves. They show favoritism. They have frequent anger outbursts. They say one thing to some people, but different things to others. They seek to dismiss or marginalize people before they attempt to develop them. They are manipulative. They lack transparency. They do not allow for pushback or disagreement. They surround themselves with sycophants, or yes people. They communicate poorly, because any clarity of communication would reveal their autocratic behavior, so they keep their communications unintelligible and obtuse. They are self-absorbed. In fact, they would unlikely see themselves in any of these symptoms, he says. But this was an issue in Corinth, and if we're not careful, this can be an issue in our day as well. You have people disguising themselves as if they have good motives, but they clearly did not. Even sin itself likes to operate under a, a disguise in our lives. Satan likes to disguise himself as an angel of light, and to the best of his ability, he makes sin look as sweet as possible to us. There are things right now in my life and in your life that in our unguarded moments we would do well to admit are tempting us. But there's something that the devil doesn't want us to catch on to when we're tempted. He doesn't want us to be aware of the consequences. If I give in to my temptations, what will be the cost? If you give in to your temptations, what price will you pay? What regret will you experience? In James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we read something about this. It says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. 
and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There are consequences, there are regrets that come with giving in to sin. Now, thankfully, in Christ, we are granted freedom from the chains of our sin. He is the way out of temptation. Resting in Him, trusting in Him, finding satisfaction in Him is the remedy for what leads us astray. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, this is what we read. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. That's what God does for us. He desires that we experience freedom in Christ, and He desires that we avoid giving in to temptation. He gives us the way out. If, as Christ's family, we seek to gain and experience a deeper sense of His wisdom, we're encouraged by this passage to know what we believe, to avoid unnecessary obstacles to the gospel in our lives, and to avoid being fooled by disguised sin. The grace of Christ is sufficient to supply all we need in the midst of this daily struggle. He is present with us, and by His grace, we are empowered to walk with Him in godly wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at it together today. And Lord, we see in this passage of Scripture that you are using the Apostle Paul to convey wisdom to the church at Corinth, that you are using him to expose false gospels and false saviors that the false apostles were trying to teach the people at Corinth to give in to. Lord, you were also using him to make them wise so that they would understand that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He likes to disguise sin, and he likes to make it seem so great. And even our own sinful nature looks at sin and sometimes is so desirous of it. But the thing that we often fail to think about are the consequences of what will happen when we invite it into our lives. So, Lord, grant us your wisdom. Help us to recognize that Jesus Christ is all we need. Help our hearts to find rest and satisfaction in Jesus, so that these sorts of things, the temptations of this world, the sins of this world, the temptations of our old nature, aren't things that we're giving into, but rather we are experiencing and embracing the freedom that we have through faith in Jesus. So Lord, we're grateful that you supply these things. We're grateful that likewise, when we're tempted, you supply the way out. And we're grateful, Lord, that you're present with us today to give us the strength and the guidance and the help that we need. Lord, we commit this day to you, and likewise, we commit this week to your care as well. And we pray that by your grace that you'd help us to walk with you each and every day in every context of life that we find ourselves in. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your love for us, that you loved us first, and that you are present with us in all circumstances. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. We're always happy to be able to bring this teaching to you each Monday. And as I mentioned at the start of the episode, if you haven't already had the chance to do so, visit us at pastor.us, and you could download a free digital copy of Desire Jesus Volume 3 
the newest 30-day devotional that I've made available. And it's free right now on our website. It'll be up there just for a few weeks. We'll have it there. So grab it while it's available. And then it goes away like all the things we put up there for free. Eventually, they get locked in uh, Amazon's ecosystem. And we can't uh, ethically offer them for free any longer through our website. But while it's available, we hope you'll grab a copy. We hope it's something that you'll enjoy. We have additional volumes in the series that'll be coming out throughout the rest of the year. And uh, if there's a good response to us putting it up for free on the website, we'll be happy to make other editions uh, available for free as well. Uh, our greatest hope is that these are things that you use and that they're things that are beneficial to you in your walk with Christ. We have other resources available there as well, so just visit pastor.us and you can check them out. And uh, again, we hope that they're beneficial to you in your Christian growth. So that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you have a wonderful week. Take care. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.